0: Good morning, everyone. Father, we come before you this morning thankful to be reconciled to you through your Son. It's a privilege to preach following communion, just being reminded of what Christ has done for us, bringing us into a relationship with you that allows your Holy Spirit to indwell us and conform us to the image and likeness of your Son. And thank you for the sanctifying work of your Word. Pray for that to take place this morning, Lord, that we'd have a surrendered spirit Toward your spirit to be transformed and convicted. Uh, I thank you for this account. I know leprosy is not something that we are familiar with, except perhaps through sermons we've uh, heard or times we've read the Bible. I, I pray, Lord, that you would give us an understanding, take our minds back 2,000 years or even further, as we see it in the Old Testament as well, to this horrendous disease. What application there is for our lives to see to see the leprosy that we have—not so much physically, but spiritually. And help us to see our spiritual leprosy that you've cleansed us from, Lord, and have a great appreciation for Christ. Give us insight into this account. It as me as your vessel. Lord, bring to mind the things you'd have me share. If there be anything in my notes or anything I missed in my studying this week, you'd have me deliver this morning. Bring that to mind. we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. The tell this morning's sermon is the 10 lepers and their spiritual leprosy. Sunday mornings, we're working our way through Luke's gospel, verse by verse, and we find ourselves at Luke 17, So we're going to begin with a discussion of leprosy, primarily for this account, because it is necessary to fully appreciate a few things, like the leper's desperation when they came to Jesus. I don't think we can really understand how they would have been feeling at that moment that they came to Christ without an understanding of leprosy. Second, we should understand leprosy so we can appreciate how dramatic and wonderful it really was for Jesus to heal them. And then third... We should understand leprosy so we can understand how thankful that they should have been following the cleansing that they received but beyond that leprosy is one of the more common topics in scripture it's definitely the most common disease that we encounter leprosy and its variants are mentioned 68 times in the bible and so that number of references alone makes it worth understanding now one reason i'm explaining why i want to explain leprosy or why i think it's important for you to have an understanding of leprosy is to be candid with you it's a very gruesome disease i don't i heard listen to a pastor that compared it to aids and i'll just be honest with you i think as horrible as aids might be leprosy seems far worse than that and so keep that in mind as we read through this the importance of this of understanding this disease to better understand this account and our bibles in general so Leprosy would begin as this uh, small red spot on the skin, and then before long, this spot, and then other spots that would develop, would grow, and they would turn white, and they would have a shiny or a scaly appearance. Those spots would then become dirty sores or ulcers because of the poor blood supply to them. And then the sores and the ulcers would spread until they could cover the body. Lepers would lose feeling in the affected areas, and so then without the warning system that god has given us they could experience other injuries i mean the warning system that we have against pain without them being able to to experience that they could twist an ankle but then continue walking and worsening the tearing of the ligaments if they were cooking by a fire they wouldn't know that they got too close so something fell near the fire they could bend down to grab it they could potentially burn themselves and not know Because they were forced to live away from civilization in unsanitary environments, they might not notice, and I'm not kidding, if rodents were chewing on them while they slept. The body would begin to fall apart, hair would fall out, fingernails and toenails would become loose and then fall off. The joints of fingers and toes themselves would rot until the fingers and toes fell off. The gums in their mouths would shrink until the teeth fell out. The disease would affect the larynx which would then produce a very grating quality in the leprous voice the skin around the eyes and the ears would begin to bunch and create these very deep furrows which is why maybe you've heard before that the face of lepers could look like that of a lion leprosy would eat away at the victim's face until literally their nose their palate and even their eyes would begin to to rot away or at times parts of their face would fall off since lepers had parts of their bodies rotting they would put off a terrible odor now these are only the physical consequences there were also spiritual mental and emotional consequences to having leprosy spiritually lepers were what considered what unclean and so they were removed from the religious life of the nation so if you had leprosy to say goodbye to ever corporately worshiping the Lord or being with your brothers and sisters in Christ for religious service mentally leprosy was terrible because there was no cure lepers had to live with the reality that their condition would only get worse and so there was no hope for the future that there was no possibility that things would improve as terrible as this week was all you had to look forward to next week is an even worse week and then an even worse week after that which is why death would become so attractive to lepers emotionally leprosy was terrible because it meant the end of all human relationships. Unless you were willing to risk infecting your spouse or your parents or your children or siblings or, or friends or any loved ones or anyone close to you, you were going to stay as far away from them as possible. Now, all suffering in life is helped by having family and friends, or, and by family I even mean church family as well. But lepers cannot experience any of that. And so we read about this in god's word but just for a moment i want you to imagine something imagine that you can never kiss your spouse again imagine that you can never hug your children again you can never pick up one of your children set them on your lap you can never go on a walk holding hands with one of your children if you're a child imagine that you can never hug your parents again if you had a sibling with leprosy you're never going to become close to that sibling again and this is an age where there's no There's no video or conference calls. There's no text messaging. There's no photographs you're going to be sent. It was truly the end of the relationship, except for some considerable distance from the person. Because lepers were like living dead people who could have no relationships with others, or because contracting leprosy meant the end of all human relationships they the family would actually have funerals for lepers while they were still alive which was fitting since lepers were had no relationships with people and because they were like living dead people lepers became complete outcasts they were shunned by the rest of society the only relationships they would have would be with other lepers uh, but that was not encouraging it was actually painful because as they looked at other lepers that would just serve as a reminder to them of the terrible fate that awaited them so if they were in the early stages of leprosy and they were looking at other lepers who were in a progressed state then there was this realization that that's where they were heading as well now you can listen to this and you can think well leprosy was so terrible people must have had considerable pity on them that's not true and i want to show you why turn to the left to luke 13. we'll go through a few verses quickly so you can understand why lepers were not pitied or shown compassion in christ's day despite what you might if you've ever seen i don't know movies or or heard sermons they received cruel treatment from others look in verse one there were some present this is luke thirteen one. there were some present at that very time who told jesus about the galileans whose blood pilate had mingled with their sacrifice so some jews came to jesus and they told him how pilate had violently murdered some jews now if you were told something like this about some number of people who had been murdered how would you respond you'd probably say something like oh that sounds so terrible i can't believe this has happened what a horrible tragedy look how jesus responded he answered to them do you think that these galileans were worse sinners than all the other galileans because they suffered in this way no i tell you but unless you repent you will all likewise perish why did jesus respond this way to them a response we would not expect because he knew all men and he knew that the that the individuals who shared this with him were thinking what the galileans who were murdered must have deserved it they must have done something bad, or they must have been worse sinners than those who hadn't been murdered. So, what Jesus does, he says, instead of worrying about the Galileans' sins or the Galileans who were murdered, their sins, you need to be worried about your own sin, and you need to repent, or you're going to perish, not just physically like them, but eternally. Verse 4, he makes the same point again. He says, Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders or sinners than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Did this tower fall on them because they're worse than everyone who who survived this collapse? Tower collapse. No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So apparently, there's this tower that falls, tragically kills 18 people, and again, Jesus knows the thinking of the day is that those individuals who were killed when this tower collapsed must have been worse sinners or deserved the fate. That they ended up experiencing you don't have to turn there but take your minds to john 9 with the man born blind what did the disciples say to jesus about that man (laughs) rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind so for him to be born blind there had to be some sin behind it either he sinned or his parents sinned but one way or another this didn't just happen without someone Doing something to cause it, someone's sin. So here's the point. If the thinking of the day is that suffering is caused by sin, and so when people suffer, they deserve it because of how bad they've been, and we know going to the book of Job, this is the thought that Job's friends were trying to share with him. You're suffering terribly, Job, but you're being proud. You need to acknowledge that God would not punish. A righteous person like this so acknowledge how sinful you've been to deserve the horrific discipline that you're receiving from god so no people did not have pity on lepers they thought that they were horrible sinners who had deserved what they were experiencing and that's why if lepers ever approached people it was viewed as a selfish act because they could infect others and they would curse at them or do imagine when someone came near you with this disease how selfishly you might view someone that would possibly infect you interestingly though lepers did seem comfortable approaching one person which must say an immense amount about his compassion and who's that that's christ so they're not going to approach anyone else but they believe that jesus has the compassion that they can approach him look in verse 11. On the way to jerusalem jesus was passing along between samaria and galilee and as he entered a village he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance so they wanted to be healed but jesus had entered this village where there'd be other people so they knew that they couldn't follow him so they stood at this distance they lift up their voices they must have had to yell to have his attention saying jesus master have mercy on us so if nobody else is going to have mercy on them they believe jesus will and he did look at verse 14 when he saw them he said to them go and show yourselves to the priests and as they went they were cleansed so this is interesting notice that the lepers were not cleansed immediately which is probably what they expected and desired. instead they had to obey jesus and head to the priests and then on their way to the priests it says that they were cleansed now when the lepers showed themselves to the priests and were pronounced clean then that allowed them to be restored to the religious and the social life of the nation that was like the stamp of approval they needed to be received back by the rest of society now here's where this gets very interesting i know i hope i am not saying something that is untrue for most of you but. For me, when I reach Leviticus in in my Bible reading, it might not be as thrilling for me as some of the other books of the Bible. You don't have to say amen to that. I think the Lord already knows our hearts and and there are some books that we can prefer reading to others and Leviticus might not be one of my favorite books. And so if it's been a little neglected for you, you, you might at some point when you reach Leviticus 14, give it a little more attention than you might otherwise because it contains a ritual that was to be performed when lepers were cleansed now to be perfectly clear about this ritual because i do not want you to misunderstand it it was not a ritual to cleanse lepers it was a ritual to be performed when lepers were cleansed now does anyone think there's anything interesting about that considering that leprosy is what incurable how often do you think this ritual is performed how many can anyone raise their hand and tell me the chapter or verse that comes to mind when this ritual was ever performed there were only two instances in the old testament of leprosy being cleansed one person just mentioned one of the names the first is in numbers 12 when moses's brother and his sister aaron, aaron and miriam attacked his leadership god gave miriam leprosy Moses interceded for his sister, and then listen to this Numbers 12 15. Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. There's actually no verse that tells us that Miriam was cleansed of leprosy. We can assume she was because she was brought back in to the camp. But even in this account, there's no record of the ritual being performed. The other instance is with Naaman in 2nd Kings 5. And it looks like after he was cleansed, after, after dunking in the river, he returns to the prophet Elijah, and then it seems that he heads back to Syria, because you remember Elisha's servant Gehazi chased him. It is highly unlikely, there's no record of Naaman returning to Jerusalem to the temple, to be pronounced clean by any of the priests and it's highly unlikely that public enemy number one to the israelites at this time was the syrians and naaman is the commander of the syrian army that he's going to walk with his entourage into the middle of jerusalem go into the temple and then expect some priests to pronounce him clean especially when he wouldn't have any familiarity with leviticus he wouldn't know to do this anyway and there's no record in scripture of him going there or elijah telling him To go there so i'm just saying it seems in both of these instances there's no reason to think that this ritual had ever been performed and these are the only two recorded instances of leprosy being cleansed in the old testament now it tells me that leviticus 14 was probably one of the most untouched chapters in the old testament now, my suspicion, and I confess I'm being a little speculative when I say this, is there might have been an amount of uh, mystery associated with this chapter. Perhaps priests talked about it. You know, we talk about God's word. It's highly expected that the teachers of the law on that day, the priests would talk about God's word and wonder, what, is, what do we do with this chapter? We have never used it. Have you, have you ever heard of anyone having to use it before? But eight times in Leviticus 14, discussing the ritual in verse 4 to 19, it says this, him who is to be cleansed eight times him who is to be cleansed which tells me that God clearly expected people to be cleansed of leprosy otherwise why have a ritual to be performed when lepers were cleansed but because leprosy is incurable why have a ritual for something that can't happen any guesses this ritual was to identify the Messiah's coming and this brings us to lesson one cleansing physical leprosy revealed jesus as the messiah cleansing physical leprosy revealed jesus as the messiah and then briefly turn to luke 7. and here's the context and i've shared before that doubt is something believers experience what what unbelievers experience unbelief right believers experience doubt if you've ever wanted to be encouraged as a believer that believers can experience doubt this might be the best passage for you to read in all of scripture because you get to see the the, in according to jesus greatest man born of a woman experiencing doubt here and that's john the baptist and here's the context where is he in this account where is he in luke 7. he's in prison which would be discouraging but he can be greatly encouraged Because there are numerous verses about the Messiah coming and doing what with prisoners or captives? Setting them free, liberating them. Isaiah 42, 7, the Messiah will bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. I'm sure John was in something that resembled a dungeon and can't wait to be brought out from it. From the prison, those who sit in darkness, and John knows this is him. Psalm 146, 7, the Lord sets the prisoners free. John can't wait to be set free. Not that long ago when Jesus began his ministry in Nazareth, you remember he goes to his hometown and they handed him the scroll of what? Of Isaiah. Do you remember that? And he reads from it. Listen to part of what he read. Luke 4.18 quotes, or Luke 4.18 is about Jesus reading from Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and set at liberty those who are oppressed and john is a captive who cannot wait to be liberated from his oppression and also he must know that he is a perfect candidate for deliverance under the messiah's ministry he knows he's the messiah's forerunner and so if there is anyone who should be out there forerunning, i don't even know if that's a word but if there is anyone who should be out there preaching it's him he should be released he should be performing his ministry answering the call that the Lord has on him but then something happened or you could say something didn't happen and what didn't happen he doesn't see these prophecies about the Messiah being fulfilled at least not the way he expects them to be fulfilled finally it reaches the point that John starts wondering if Jesus is the Messiah at all and so for all of John's greatness he took the Spiritual deliverance Jesus would bring and applied it physically and thought that it was a physical deliverance. We talked about this, right? The Jews, many of them are expecting a Moses figure that's going to come on the scene and deliver the Jews from the Romans the way that Moses delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians, or a Davidic figure to deliver the Jews from the Romans the way that David delivered them from the Philistines, or a Solomonic figure to restore them to the golden years that they knew under Solomon and then they get Jesus who didn't look like David Moses or Solomon at least in those ways right so he's not providing the physical deliverance he's going to bring a spiritual deliverance John the Baptist has lost sight of this so look what happens in verse 18. the disciples of John reported all of these things to him and John in verse 19 notice this he calls two of the disciples to him and he says to them or he sent sent them to the Lord to Jesus saying are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another so John has begun to wonder if Jesus is actually the Messiah because it seems like these prophecies were not coming true these messengers are going to leave John go to jesus to ask him if he's the messiah and before we read jesus's answer i just want you to notice how interesting it is because when when john's messengers ask jesus if he's the messiah what would you expect him to say in one word yes this is a this is a question that can be answered in one word i want you to notice how jesus answered it he did not say that he was the messiah instead he tells these messengers, john's messengers to report back to john the things they're seeing verse 20 when the men had come the messengers had come to him to jesus they said john the baptist has sent us to you saying are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another are you the messiah or not verse 21 in that hour jesus healed many people so there isn't even any indication of his response yet he heals people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were the blind he bestowed sight and then verse 22 then he tells the messengers go and tell john what have seen and heard that the blind receive their sight the lame walk and the notices that lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and then it goes on so my point is jesus told john's messengers that lepers cleansing or the cleansing of lepers served as evidence that the messiah had come and can you see why that would be the case if you just imagine for a moment that you're one of the priests in Christ's day there are only two accounts of Jesus cleansing lepers and both times he's the other one is in Luke 5 and he both instances of Jesus cleansing leprosy he sends the lepers to the priests because they're the experts in the law and they're the ones who are going to be able to declare that the lepers have been cleansed because just think about it a lay person could say hey this is my brother and he's been cleansed of leprosy and what do people do like uh you don't really have the qualifications or the credibility to tell us whether someone has or hasn't been cleansed by leprosy really it was a priest we know the law that has the the credibility to tell us whether a leper has been cleansed or not so jesus sends Jesus doesn't say hey go tell all your friends and family you've been cleansed so that they can see you look different because the friends and family wouldn't have the credibility he says go to the priest so they can pronounce you clean because when they pronounce you clean then people will believe it and think of what this was like for the priests in Jesus day Moses was given the law at Sinai 2,000 years ago the law that contained Leviticus 14 with the ritual that was to be performed when lepers were cleansed And how many times has that ritual been performed? None. Now, you're a priest in Jesus' day, and what starts happening? Even though we have a... Remember the end of John's Gospel where it says that if you were to have a record of all of the things Jesus did, you couldn't even have a library big enough to hold all the books, right? So just because we have a record in Luke 5 and Luke 17 of Jesus cleansing lepers, we shouldn't assume these are the only lepers that he cleansed. There would have been considerably more that he cleansed that are making their way to the priests so you're a priest you've probably heard the rumors that the messiah has come and then who starts coming into your temple one after another it seems lepers who have been cleansed you're able to perform the ritual that no priest has ever performed before and it would have been an incredible testimony that the messiah had come coming from the experts or those who had the greatest credibility one more thing the two instances of leprosy being cleansed in the Old Testament that I mentioned were associated with Moses and Elisha to the greatest men in the Old Testament so when Miriam was cleansed that was associated with Moses and when Naaman was cleansed that was associated with Elijah and in both instances it was clear that these two men Moses and Elijah could not do the cleansing it was clear that God had to do the like for example what did what did Naaman say to Elijah he says I, I don't want to go to some river that pales in comparison to the to the to the rivers in Syria the far par on the Arab and I don't want to go to the Jordan it's dirty and it's not extravagant. I thought you're gonna come outside the house and wave your hands all over the place and do some special magic ceremony and then heal me of my leprosy. Well, why didn't Elijah do that? Because he couldn't. He couldn't cleanse leprosy any more than we can cleanse leprosy. He sends Naaman to the river to dunk in it because God was the one who was gonna do the cleansing and then listen to what Naaman said when he came back. Second Kings 5:15, Naaman returns to Elijah and he says, behold i know that there is no god in all earth but in israel so it's evident that naaman knew god was the one who cleansed him was moses able to cleanse his sister's leprosy no that's why he had to intercede that's why he prayed for god to cleanse miriam because moses knew that he couldn't do it so here's my point the two instances of leprosy were associated with two of the greatest miracle workers in the old testament or literally the two greatest miracle workers in the old testament moses and elijah and the two of them could not cleanse leprosy so when someone comes on the scene who can cleanse leprosy what does that tell everyone that this man is greater than moses and elijah he can do the things that they could not do we are talking about the messiah here now back to the account if you want to turn back to luke 17 15. after the lepers show themselves to the priests look what happened luke 17 15 one of them when he saw that he was healed he turned back and he is praising god with a loud voice what did leprosy do to people's voices i, I told you earlier yeah it destroyed it and made it very gravelly or grating and perhaps unable you at some point being able to talk at all and so this guy he's got his voice back and he is going to come back praising god as loudly as possible verse 16 he falls on his face at jesus's feet he gives jesus thanks and then we're told that he's a samaritan <laughs> so as you know the Jews hated the Samaritans they were viewed as half breeds half Israelite half Assyrian because when the Assyrians had resettled the northern kingdom of Israel seven centuries later those Israelites then intermarried with the Assyrians and so in Christ's day you have a a new group of people a new people group the Samaritans who were half Israelite and half Samaritan or half Assyrian and because the Samaritans were half Israelite it actually made him worse than being complete Gentiles the Jews just despised them and thought they were better than them well who's the only Gentile author of Scripture Luke is and so Luke did not seem to mind praising Samaritans at times he's the only gospel writer that recorded the parable of the good samaritan and so luke is the author who frequently makes the samaritans look good and here he takes the liberty to point out well under the i shouldn't say he took the liberty i mean the holy spirit inspired him to do this but under the inspiration of the holy spirit he points out that the leper who came back was a samaritan verse 17 jesus answered were not ten cleansed where are the nine was no one found to return And give praise to god except this foreigner which probably tells me that the other nine were what or at least many of them or maybe all of them were what jews if he points out that this guy's a foreigner then the implication is the other nine were jews and they should have been there one of the ten gives thanks jesus noticed that and this brings us to lesson two jesus notices thanklessness and thankfulness jesus notices thanklessness and thankfulness very convicting for me this week reflecting on how thankless I am so Jesus noticed two things he noticed the thankfulness of the leper I shouldn't even say leper because he's no longer a leper he noticed the thankfulness of the Samaritan who returned and it pleased Christ and Jesus noticed the thanklessness of the nine who did not return and it displeased him Now we know romans 1 if if i was to ask you tell me the passage of scripture that has the strongest condemnation of man that gives the strongest indictment of man i bet many of you would probably say romans 1. interestingly listen to this romans 121 although they knew god they did not honor him and and we're kind of like okay well that's not us we honor god we worship him we pray we read the word we come to church so here it's talking about people who don't honor god and thankfully we're not in that camp what does it say right after that they knew god they did not honor him or give him thanks and they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened and so the reason i find this so interesting for most of my life i i suppose it was per, because i went to confession or because i was in the catholic church you have considerable conviction about commission because you're going to confession to confess the things that you have committed you talk about what you your lies or when you stole or when you got drunk or fornicated or whatever it is and you go to confession and you talk about the sins you've committed i don't remember ever being instructed to discuss sins of omission which is to say those sins that were sins because i omitted doing what god wanted me to do or failed to do the things that god wanted me to do and so interestingly in romans one one of the strongest indictments against a man god condemns us for the sin of omission and what we omit doing is giving him thanks when we should ingratitude is especially prevalent today because of the I deserve this mentality that we have now we can be quick to condemn the nine lepers who didn't return but I just ask this do you think that the ratio is any better today do you think that there's greater than 10% who are coming and giving thanks to the Lord for all of the things that he has done in their lives I highly doubt it now I will be the first to say I definitely do not give thanks to God for all the things that I should I if and so if you asked me if you said hey pastor Scott who are you most like are you like the one or the nine I'd say I'm more frequently unfortunately like the nine that don't give thanks prayer time rushed just offering up requests constantly you know father please do this please do this help here and then we can feel good well i prayed for this person i asked for this how much of our prayer lies really consists of giving thanks like we should and how many things do we have to give thankful for and to give thanks for and so this is a chapter or account that really convicted me now matthew henry they have his (laughs) diary i don't know whether matthew henry when he was writing in his diary, it was new that it was going to come into people's hands, but it has been a great encouragement uh, to many people in, in terms probably of being convicted by this man's godliness. Well, one time in Matthew Henry's diary, he wrote about having been robbed. Now, if I wrote about having been robbed, it would probably sound like I'm complaining. Like, why did you let this happen, Lord? Why am I so lucky? Does anyone know what Matthew Henry did in his diary when he was robbed? Does anyone know? He gave thanks he gave thanks for four things and I'll share them with you first he thanked God that he had never been robbed before so if you're ever robbed give God thanks you hadn't been robbed before and then if you get robbed a second time give thanks that you haven't been robbed three times (laughs) yeah second he thanked God that even though they took his wallet they didn't take his his life I thought his life he was thankful that he was still alive Thirty, thanked god that even though they took his wallet and all that was in it there wasn't very much in it <laughs> and then fourth and probably my favorite he thanked god that he was the one being robbed versus being the robber now as i have told you many times before most of what jesus did so the point is we can probably always find reasons to give thanks and i'm sure that when we do who's really we should give thanks to god because he is god he deserves our our worship and our praise and our thanksgiving but with that said is there a considerable benefit for us to give thanks how much more joy would we have how much better would we feel about our circumstances trials and difficulties and suffering if we give thanks in them because it will remind us of all of those things that we have to be thankful for and take our eyes off of the trial itself and allow us to consider all of the other wonderful things God has given us in the midst of that trial now, I told you many times before that most of what Jesus did physically in the Gospels pictures what he wants to do for us spiritually. Let me say this one more time. As the charismatic movement, you know, continues to expand or propagate false teaching, I think it's always good to be reminded that what you are seeing with Jesus is not prescriptive. All of these accounts are not meant to make us think that the Lord always wants to physically do all of these things for us most of what jesus did for people physically is a picture of what he wants to do for us spiritually and i'll just give you a few examples when jesus healed blindness should if you read an account of jesus healing blindness do you walk away from that and and then give thanks and say lord thank you that you want to heal the blindness of every single person who's blind no that's not what's going on it's a picture of how he wants to heal our spiritual blindness so that we can see and understand spiritual truths jesus heals deafness you don't walk away from that and then go find any deaf friends you have and say hey look at this account I was reading that Jesus healed deafness here and so you're deaf well let me go ahead and pray and then Christ is going to heal your deafness right now or Jesus heals a paralyzed person it's the idea is he wants to raise us to newness of life so we can spiritually walk with him not necessarily physically walking he raises people from the dead it doesn't mean he's going to raise every single person from the dead the moment they die but it's a picture of how he wants to bring us to life spiritually raise us out of our spiritual deadness to spiritual life and so the point is when we see what Jesus does physically we must often look past that for the spiritual greater I would say spiritual reality or truth behind it now in this account Jesus cleanses physical leprosy in our day leprosy is known as Hansen's disease is this to make us think that Jesus would want to heal every single person who which isn't it's not very uh common today like it was in Christ's day but even if you were to know meet someone who had leprosy or Hansen's disease is this to say that Jesus wants to heal there no not physically this is one of the easier ones to figure out because most of us know what leprosy represents and this brings us to lesson three leprosy is a picture of sin leprosy is a picture of sin mark your spot in luke 17 you can turn to leviticus 13. leprosy is the most dramatic picture type of sin in the bible the only rival would be leaven probably but i think leprosy is an even stronger picture type of sin than leaven because leprosy would do to people spiritually what or excuse me leprosy does to people physically what sin does to us spiritually let me say that one more time because i confused it a little bit when you read about leprosy and you at the beginning i went through that fairly gruesome discussion of what leprosy is well there was reason for it not just to gross you out but to help you understand that it's a picture type of what sin does to us spiritually so leprosy did to people physically what sin does to us spiritually let me share some of the parallels look in verse 3 leprosy is deeper than the skin just like sin the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body and if his hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body like sin is more than skin deep leprosy spreads just like sin spreads look at verse 7. If the eruption spreads in the skin, once lepers acquired leprosy, they would mourn, just like we should mourn or should be broken over our sin. Look at verse forty-five, Leviticus thirteen forty-five. Watch the leper mourning, grieving over his leprosy, the way we should mourn or grieve over our sin. The leprous person who has a disease, he shall wear torn clothes. He shall let the hair of his head hang loose. And cover his upper lip or his mustache and if you pause there they tear their clothes they ignore their hair and if you read about other signs of mourning or grief in scripture these are the two most common ways to grieve is to tear your clothes and to allow yourself to be disheveled or no or give no attention to yourself physically or to your hygiene because you're so consumed with mourning or grief so what lepers were physically is what we should be like spiritually regarding our sin leprosy defiles or causes uncleanness look in verse the rest of verse 45 cry out unclean unclean verse 46 he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease he's unclean it's like okay we get it we get it unclean four times in two verses we're told that lepers are unclean it has defiled them just like sin causes us to be unclean or defiled lepers had to be removed from everyone except other lepers just like unrepentant sinners must be removed from everyone except other unrepentant sinners look in the rest of verse 46. he shall live alone his dwelling shall be outside the camp so leprosy isolates it removes people from the corporate body just like unrepentant sin removes spiritual lepers from the corporate body or they must be separated and be alone or be outside of the church With other spiritual lepers just like unrepentant people affected by sin are fit for the fire that's not the most pleasant thought but the end for unrepentant sinners is the lake of fire or the fires of hell and this is what it says for leprosy that what leprosy has touched or affected must be burned by fire look in verse 52. he shall burn the garment or the warp of what is a warp does anyone know i have so much confidence in you guys i thought someone could tell me what a warp is does anyone know what a warp is there it's a shelf oh it's a direction oh i thought it was a noun it's a okay okay well good i'm glad i asked you guys that now if i teach this again i won't look, embarrass myself by thinking a warp was a noun versus a direction so the direction or the wolf what's that oh warp or wolf like that oh interesting okay the wool or the linen See, this is why i generally try to stick to my notes and not go off note because i or any article made of skin that is diseased for it is a persistent leprous disease and then notice this it shall be burned in the fire and then verse 57 if it appears again in the garment in the warp or the wolf or in any article made of skin it's spreading you shall burn it with fire whatever has the disease so whatever it touches is going to be burned with fire and whatever sin is touched how many sins do you have to commit to deserve hell or deserve one sin that's it a few more ways that leprosy resembles sin it starts out small it's unnoticeable is that the case with sin or what how many people have just launched themselves into some super dramatic gratuitous sin that's not what happens it starts off small steps going in the wrong direction the extra look or conversation we shouldn't have or decision or choice that we're hiding or place that we shouldn't frequent starts off very small unnoticeable it's able to be hidden for some period of time you're listening you're like why well, are you talking about leprosy or are you talking about sin yes The leprosy could be hidden for a period of time you can keep it secret from other people but inevitably it's going to spread and the people around you are begin going to begin to notice your leprosy spiritually speaking or your sin it can't be hidden leprosy can never be completely removed from a person's life just like sin can never be completely removed from a person's life i was reading the end of romans 7 this past week and just listening to paul paul for all of paul's greatness he was never able to get sin completely out of his life he just starts saying oh wretched man that i am i do what i don't want to do i'm the chief of sinners i don't do what i want to do he is just lamenting the sin that cannot even in all of his sanctification be completely removed from his life just like leprosy can never be completely removed from a person's life as leprosy spreads sensitivity is lost Feeling is lost in the area, just like what? When you engage in a sin enough times, you begin to lose feeling, sensitivity, conviction associated with us. And that's not my opinion. Ephesians, Paul describes it when sin spreads. Ephesians 4, 19, sinners, he says, who being past feeling have given themselves over. So in other words, they've engaged in this sin for so long, they've given themselves over to it, that they're past feeling, they're no longer convicted about it. They've done it enough times that it seems almost like either the Holy Spirit has has given up on them in this area, or perhaps they were never saved in the first place. First Timothy four two, Paul says, through insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. What does it mean when something is seared? It's burned. You don't feel anything anymore, right? Well, he says it's their consciences. Our conscience, which according to Romans two, convicts us of sin is seared so they no longer have that conviction or feeling about the sin that they're engaging in the sin is spread cause numbness in these areas just like leprosy and when lepers lost feeling do you remember I told you that they're more likely to hurt themselves well what happens to sinners who have engaged in sin to such a point that they've lost conviction or sensitivity they're more likely to hurt themselves people with leprosy were like living dead people what are unsaved people they are living dead people there might not be a better description of an unsaved person than a living dead person physically alive spiritually dead Ephesians 2 1 you were dead in your trespasses and sins Colossians two thirteen: you were dead in your trespasses and then God made you alive in a sense like lepers Lepers never leprosy never stopped until the person was dead there was never a point that leprosy ever becomes merciful to a person and says I have punished this person enough I've taken enough from them that I will stop making it worse well similarly sin never says I have been so cruel and harsh I have taken so much from this person that I will I will draw the line here and I will not ruin their lives any further leprosy never stopped till the person was dead and sin never stops until the person is dead with this in mind look at luke 17 19. turn back to luke 17 19 to see a beautiful picture of spiritual leprosy being cleansed luke 17 19 jesus said to him rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, let's be honest, does this look a little confusing to you? It should, because you're saying Jesus seems like he's making someone well that he'd already made well. Why is he making someone well that had already been healed or cleansed? Well, here's what's going on earlier, Jesus cleansed his physical leprosy. And now Jesus is talking to him about his spiritual leprosy. If someone asked me if the other nine lepers were saved, I would not say that they were. I don't know if they got saved later, but we only have evidence of this leper being saved. He comes back in faith. He says, your faith made you well. We're saved by grace through faith. Now this man demonstrates or exhibits a faith that has saved him. And that's why numerous translations point that out. The NASB and ESV have footnotes that say your faith has made you well means your faith has saved you. Or the Amplified says Jesus said to him, go up, go your way, your faith, your personal trust in me, and your confidence in God's power has restored you to health. And I would say spiritual health. He'd already been restored to physical health. He didn't need to be restored to physical health. That had already happened now jesus is talking to him about his spiritual health being given to him so ten of the lepers are cleansed of physical leprosy but only one of them was cleansed of spiritual leprosy and this brings us to lesson four jesus wants to cleanse our spiritual leprosy jesus wants to cleanse our spiritual leprosy now you, jesus he heals blindness he heals paralysis he heals sickness he heals deafness and it's always healed, 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 healed. And these miracles are called healings, but lepers were always what? Lepers were always what? They were cleansed. Luke 7:22. Tell John what you've seen and heard. The lepers were healed. No, the lepers were cleansed. Luke 17:14. This morning's account. When he saw, he said, "Go, show yourself to the priest." And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 17. Jesus answered, "We're not ten cleansed, never healed." where are the other nine and this is another way that leprosy is a picture of sin now earlier you might have caught this I said I said leprosy can never be completely removed from someone's body people can never be healed of leprosy and that's true but they could be cleansed of leprosy just like sin we can never be healed of our sin we can never stop sinning but we can be cleansed of our spiritual leprosy titus 2 14 jesus gave himself to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession ephesians 5 26 that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word first john 1 7 the blood of jesus cleanses us from all sin if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. now I've, i thought you could wonder first john 1 9 why does it say if we confess our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us and then why doesn't it stop there why does it say forgive us and cleanse us to me it sounds good enough to be forgiven well when I read that he forgives us and cleanses us my mind goes to the spiritual leprosy from my life that he has cleansed me of that I never in my own effort would have been able to be healed of and I want to ask you this what was the greatest cleansing that Jesus did in this account was it what he did for all 10 lepers Or was it what he did for the one leper what he did for the one leper was greater and what jesus has done for us is greater than what he did for those nine lepers who didn't return he cleansed them physically something that would benefit them for the rest of their earthly temporal lives but he has cleansed us spiritually something that will affect us for eternity now you know at the beginning of the sermon i was discussing how horrible leprosy is and you sat here and you went like this I'm so thankful I don't have leprosy you have something worse than physical leprosy you're a spiritual leper if you're not in Christ we should be even more thankful those of us who are Christians for Jesus cleansing us of our spiritual leprosy than those nine lepers were of Jesus cleansing them of their physical leprosy you imagine the dramatic change in their lives for them to have been cleansed of their physical leprosy and then wrap your mind around this as thankful as they were for what Jesus did for them we should be even more thankful for what Jesus has done for us spiritually because physical leprosy is not going to send you to hell for eternity but your spiritual leprosy will so how often are we thanking Christ For the cleansing that his blood provided on the cross now i want to conclude with this maybe you've had some sin in your life and maybe it started off as a few spots maybe it wasn't noticeable at first but now it has spread it has affected your whole life it has become noticeable to people people can hear it in your voice right maybe your language has changed that's one of the most interesting things about people who drift from christ Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks, one of the first things you'll notice is a change in voice, a change in the language. When people are drifting from the church or drifting from Christ, their voices are different. There's different words, there's a vulgarity, a language that wasn't used. People are noticing the change in your voice. They can see it in your life. There's even a stench, right? I want to tell you that Jesus is as willing to cleanse you of spiritual leprosy today as he was 2,000 years ago. If you have any questions about anything I've shared during the sermon, or I can pray for you in any way, I'll be up front after service and I'd consider it a privilege to speak with you. Father, we thank you for the spiritual leprosy that you've cleansed from our lives, those who are in Christ. I would pray for anyone here, Lord, who would still be a spiritual leper, that they would see their need for cleansing and know that you desire to cleanse them as much today as you did 2,000 years ago to those lepers who came to your son and so i i thank you lord on behalf of all of the believers here for the cleansing you've given us and pray for any unbelievers here that they would see their need to be cleansed by christ and we ask all this in his name amen